believe it or not, the 2022 Winter Games have come to a close, and we got a fair amount of drama in both women's and men's hockey. We break that down. We also have a couple of trades to announce. Sid the Kid reaches a new milestone. And in terms of the unrestricted free agency race in July, we have already talked about the players that could be on the move before the March 21st deadline. Today, we're going to talk about the players who likely won't be going anywhere, but maybe could move in the offseason, depending on the offers they get or don't get. Episode 308 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duba. Uh, shall we go uh, to uh, some Olympic content, Brett? Because uh, I yeah. feel we have barely talked about it. Actually, we haven't talked about it at all. Yeah, we, we hardly ever talked about it. Uh, honestly, I hadn't even, like, the only Olympics that I did watch, or hockey that I watched, was uh, when Canada the Canadian women and the Canadian and the U S women, uh, played each other both times. Um, other than that, I hardly watched the, um, the men's. I honestly, I thought like the U S was going to, like, I was looking forward to watching the U S men's a little bit, but then I didn't like, I didn't realize that they were playing. And then like a lot of it had to do with like, they usually play in like 11 PM. And I didn't realize what, or like when they played, I was looking forward to watching Maddie Beniers and Drew Comesso. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, but like they ended up, uh, losing to Slovakia, um, in the semifinals, but, and then Canada also lost in the semifinal in the quarterfinals as well. Um, so that's, uh, so yeah, both, uh, excuse me, us didn't even make it to the semis. So it was just like, I, I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll watch the semifinals. Cause then Canada and us are in it. It's usually exciting when that, that happens. And like, I knew that the NHL wasn't going to be participating, but I figured, um, us and Canada should still make it far. And they turned out they didn't, but anyways, that I don't mean to take it away from what actually happened. Um, so Finland ended up winning, um, and this is actually their first gold that Finland has ever, uh, made in the U S men or in the men's bracket, um, ever. Um, and that includes when they had guys like Henrik Lundqvist and Zetterberg and the Sedins and all, or not the Sedins, I'm thinking of Sweden, aren't I? I guess Tuka Rask is one, uh, Zetterberg. He's Finnish. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's good for them. I'm looking at their roster right now. Uh, what's interesting is they had Sammy Vatanen, Leo Komarov. They have Harry Sateri, um, Marcus Granlin. So some guys who played in the NHL last year. Miko Lettinen is another one. Um, Valtteri Filippila. So they had like a decent amount of NHL players. Uh, then for like the Russian sides, the only, there's only like two guys that are, or three guys that I recognize. One is Nikita Gusev, um, who, uh, who kind of could never make it in the NHL. 
let uh, Vadim Shipachov, who was the guy that Vegas got in their inaugural year and then never actually turned out to work out for them. And then lastly, Slava Voinov, who famously uh, beat his uh, girlfriend and had this domestic abuse thing and then got blacklisted by the rest of the NHL. So, uh, so I guess, like, you know, I, I, like, coming into it, you're probably thinking, like, it's going to be Russia and Finland, uh, Russia and Canada for the gold medal. But, yeah, it turns out that Russia, they got silver. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with just their roster isn't that impressive. Um, like it was la the last time the Olympics happened. Uh, Slovakia um, got bronze. And they did this without Zdeno Chara, which is great. Um, but uh, also of note, Juraj Slavkovsky, uh, he ended up having like seven goals in seven games or something like that. Um, or he had a lot of goals. And the thing is, is he's 17 years old. Uh, so he, he, uh, he's going to be in this year's draft. He's going to be impressive. Um, or I, his draft stock uh, reached a high mark uh, for sure this year um, or during this tourney. Um, so keep in mind Slavkovsky, I'm sure that he's going to be a top 10 pick now. Um, do you have any thoughts on the men's stuff? And we'll get to the women's after that. Yeah, so um, I know... I know... I can't remember what the the ROC, whatever that stands for, yeah. the Russian athletes, they are called because of, you know, scandals, doping scandals, yeah. that whole thing. Russian Olympic the, Committee, by the way. Yeah. Um, they've been called that for the past two Olympics, 2018 in Pyeongchang and 2022 Beijing. Yep. They almost lost both of them. Because people remember, oh, yes, well, Russia lose. won in overtime against Germany. Germany went on that heck of a run. Germany was minutes away from closing that game in regulation, and Russia tied it in the final minutes and forced overtime and then beat Germany in overtime. This could have been the second this could have been the second straight tournament without Olympic without NHL participation in the Olympics that Russia has to sell for silver. Like there don't get me wrong. You take a look at Russian hockey, all the talented players they've developed over the years, incredible. Very tough to compete against that. But as a team, I, I don't know. Yep. I don't know what it, what it is with Russia, but just in those clutch knockout round stages in the Olympics, no matter what talent they have at their disposal, that gold medal has eluded them more times than it should have. And yes, I know Finland worked hard and they deserved it, but uh, I, I thought Russia, that was Russia's game to lose. But well, full kudos to Finland, they deserved yeah. it. Yeah, and kudos to Slovakia for getting a, a bronze medal. Um, yeah, by so. the way, uh, Slovakia was trailing in the final minute yeah. to USA and went into extra time and won. Yep. This is the first time... Uh, I, th I think since 2006 that Canada and the USA were not in the semis. It was an all Euro semi. There was Slovakia, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. Yeah. That uh, was the final. That's four. crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the women's side, it was all us and Canada. 
Uh, shocker, As right? we all knew it would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, those, uh, those games were intense. But, um, yeah, it turns out Canada ended up winning. Um, it was like 3-2 was the final score. Uh, U.S., like, I know that the score was 3-2 and it seems like it was close, but it was pretty much 3-1 for the, like, <laughs> the entire game. And, and then uh, the U.S. Uh, scored, like, with, like, like 13 seconds left in the game. Yeah. So, it, 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 it like, that, that score doesn't really do it justice. Um, but, uh, but what was noteworthy, uh, was the goaltender for the U S uh, later, we later find out that she would, she had like a torn UCL, um, torn MCL, MCL, right, right. Good point. Yeah. Um, I think it was, uh, as of January 14th, yeah. wasn't even sure she'd make it to yeah. Beijing. It's didn't, crazy. um, really get a full practice in until like yeah. a few days after she got there. And in the Mel rounds felt for the most part shaky. And yep. now a silver medalist. So like she's thirty years old, by the way. Yeah. So uh, it could have been the argument that maybe oh, yeah. four years from now she's not sure where her career is at, and this could be her last chance to get a gold medal. I totally so get that. that. Could have factored into her play, but uh, Brett, you can continue because I know exactly what your stance <laughs> is on this. Yeah, because this this goes back to uh, how I hate when players play injured. Um, and the I, latest installment of Brett's rants. <laughs> my, why my hockey players shouldn't play injured? Well, okay, so so for the yes, I agree with you on this because this is why it's like it's Olympic, my pet peeve Olympic edition, basically. Um, <laughs> but like, yes, I I get what you're saying that she's 30 years old. She uh, uh, this was probably her last chance that she's going to get on this title and stuff. However, there's two things that I want to mention. One. Uh, she already played in the play in the tournament already. So like, um, and I think that if like, let's say she, the backup played, um, she, that, that she would have still gotten that gold medal, um, had, had they played. So, um, or had they won that game? Um, and of course I don't want to make any excuses cause like, who knows what would have happened if. Uh, she didn't play and, and all that stuff. It could have still been the same result. So I don't want to make it seem like that, like like I'm like griping it just because it's an American woman. Um, but, uh, and then the second point, um, it's like, that's the coach's fault. Like the coaches like knew that she had this surgery or knew that she was going to be injured. It's like, why is it like, like they shouldn't allow her to play if they knew that she wasn't a hundred percent. And it didn't even seem like she was like, like, like 90% or, or like 80%. She was, she, she barely could, she said that she admitted that she was deciding if she could even play in the first place. So, so that part just annoys me. It's just, uh, whatever. Um, and, um, so, but like, I, I, I guess it's like, it's hard to have such a gripe when I consider the fact that you're probably right, that she felt like this is going to be her only chance to get a gold. Um, so, so I get why she was doing that. Um, but it is, <laughs> I guess it shows just how, like, how much better the U S and Canada women's are in this, in the, in this women's tourney is when there was like an injured goaltender the entire time 
and they still manage to get silver. <laughs> like, like how, like how does that like? That should be the bigger story. Is the fact that like there needs like Finland got the bronze in the Olympics this year, but there needs to be more representation. And I'm not honestly sure how how to make it for like you know get other countries to be more interested in the women's hockey side of things. But it's it's been this way for the last couple of years, where it's either if it's not Canada, it's U.S. Um, and if it's not U.S., it's Canada. Um, it usually comes yeah. down to those two for gold, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, well, that's my Th- point. This is the yeah. sixth time ever in the four straight Olympics that gold medal matchup was Canada-USA. So it's like, I, like, I think, like, maybe this is something, like, a topic we can do in, like, the off season or something. But, like, mm-hmm. there needs to be a way for, like, to promote women's hockey more. Like, the NWHL it seems like they... Um, like every now and then you hear stories about how they're they might be bankrupt and stuff and um they're kind of like in the midst but like not really so it's um so i feel like that's the start of how do you promote women's hockey but i think this is a different podcast and into a separate tangent but um but yeah no it's it's definitely um it's definitely exciting stuff um but and congrats to Canada. Congrats to Finland. Um, but yeah, anyways, I, I don't want to go. To, I'll get off my soapbox here. <laughs> and, and if you want to talk about like unbelievable performances, and, and this is why it's like Canada, U.S. round yeah. robin and Canada, U.S. gold medal were the main draws for this. I don't know what the draw was for all the other games that were played in this tournament. And, yep. you know, across the year, I'm not really sure how much play women's hockey really gets in terms of national attendance and it should get a lot more because because of this game so brian jenner finishes the tournament with 11 goals that's a record for most goals in a single tournament right Mm -hmm. uh sarah nurse a member of uh the darnell nurse clan there's darnell nurse there's uh kia nurse who's a canadian female basketball player and shocker very good and also sarah nurse she had the most points and the most assists in a single tournament in history. Uh, and also, uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin is kind of a god. Yep. Um, she is the only hockey player, female or male, to score in four Olympic gold medal games. Also, this stat, Marie-Philippe Poulin has three gold medals. She scored the game winner every single time. Yep. Every single time she has three gold medals, like the epitome of clutch, like, like you, you name probably the the greatest clutch performer in Canadian Olympic history for the men's side, like in the, in the conversation with Marie-Philippe Lynn as just clutch. She just has that clutch gene. You need a big goal. She scores it every single time without fail. The, Underrated MVP of this game, though, was Canada's goalie, uh, Anne-René Debian. Uh, remember, Brett, in 2018, when the U.S. women's team edged out Canada an extra time, their goaltender played absolutely amazing. Yep, she's great. And it was the other way around because uh, Debian stopped, I can't, be- I can't believe she faced this many, 51 shots. I know the U.S. had several chances on the power play and she was a brick wall throughout most of that but i took a gander at the final shot till i'm just like really 51 saves that entire game 
just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it was uh, the thing that, uh, in terms of the actual players, it's, it's kind of funny when you look at, like, I was just looking at the Olympic st uh, standings. I see that nurse you mentioned, uh, her, his sister is in the league, uh, Kessel, Amanda Kessel. Of course, yep. that's Phil's uh, sister. Um, and I think there was another uh, famous brother um, who has a famous uh, sister. Oh, Brian Jenner. I think Jenner. that's uh, Boone Jenner's sister. Oh, well, that's not who I was thinking of. Um, I'll get to it. But um, was, it, was it Knight? Because I know there was, I think there's someone named Knight. Jared Knight. But oh. he never really played in the NHL. No, I don't. I don't, like I don't think Hillary Knight. Knight is related to. Uh, I thought you okay. were going to say Hillary Knight is okay. related to Spencer Knight. No, uh, Spooner. Spooner was the one I was thinking of. Oh, um, Natalie Spooner. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> you got me wondering if Hillary Knight is a famous sister, as well. But um, no, not Spencer Knight. Uh, uh, I think his name's Jared Knight. He played uh, in yeah, the early 2010s familiar. for the OHL's London Knights. But, but I don't think they're not related. I don't no. think he really made it big in the NHL, though. According to elite prospects, they're not related. Um, okay. So, well, that <laughs> so anyway, still, that was, Hillary Knight is a very good hockey player. Yeah, that, good, that, uh, there's yeah, no doubt. There's no that. doubt about that either. Yes. Um, but uh, anyways, um, but I, I found out that Marie Philippe Poulin. Uh, went to Boston University, so that that's kind of cool. Um, uh, where I I didn't even really think of the fact that like some of these women play college hockey as well, let alone a Canadian yeah, it's, hockey it, player. it's kind of kind of like the so, Louis LeBlanc vibe for whatever so, reason. People with the Montreal connections, you'd be surprised yeah. how many connections they have with Boston. Too. But but yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, Marie Philippe Poulin, it like she's basically the women's version of Wayne Gretzky. She's incredible. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, definitely right up on that stage of Wickenheiser too. It also there have yeah. been a lot of there have been a lot of women's hockey legends, and she's at yeah. at worst she's up there in the conversation with oh, yeah. the greatest, and at best she's the greatest women's hockey player ever. Uh, that's true. Wickenheiser is probably the women's version of Gretzky, but uh, yeah. When <laughs> I think of when I think of uh, women's greats in uh, women's hockey yeah. for Canada, Haley Wickenheiser, Cassie Campbell, Pascal. Um, oh, yeah, and, um, Marie Philippe Poulin, those would probably be my, the top three names that I think of. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Uh, uh, but yeah, congrats the Can Canadian women. Of course I was sad about the U S losing that, but, uh, but it, I can't say that it wasn't well-deserved from Can the Canadian side. Um, and, and once I heard that like Marie Philippe Poulin played for Boston university, then I was just like, you know what? I'm not mad at and of course she does that so um so yeah i'm happy for for canada um and all that stuff all right uh so next we have um kind of a funny thing uh so last episode we were talking about like what's montreal gonna do for the deadline we kind of talked about tyler Toffoli, like maybe he was gonna get traded but we weren't necessarily sure because he's he uh he's on a, a somewhat a long-term contract um, I think he has two years left, if I recall correctly. But anyways, about like yeah. 15 minutes after we get uh, we stop recording, Tyler Toffoli yeah. gets treated to the Calgary Flames. 
uh which you can't is, write this stuff yeah yeah this is like we we joke on the email i don't think we've ever publicly mentioned this on the show or not but we we kind of have an inside joke that there's a podcast jinx where it's like as soon as like as soon as we t- end up uh, in our recording something happens like right after this it might be the biggest time or this might be the t- like the prime example of that happening where it's just like like no doubt not even like the fact that we stopped recording but we were talking about the Montreal Canadiens and what they were going to do <laughs> and, um, and both of us said uh, you know what they should probably yeah. keep to fully and yeah for, yeah. So, yeah well they, they yeah, didn't they, they didn't <laughs> they did not do that uh so anyways the trade is is uh so the flames just get Tyler Toffoli that's on the Calgary side uh Montreal gets Tyler Pitlick Emil Heineman. Uh, fun fact: He was also involved in the Sam Bennett trade uh, a year ago. Yeah, so ago. that trade tree looks a bit better on Calgary's end. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, in a, in a way, they they ended up getting Sam Bennett for Tyler Toffoli in a weird way. <laughs> in a weird way, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they get uh, Montreal gets a 2022 first round pick, conditional. Oh, I'll get to that in a second. And a 2023 fifth round pick and a 2024 fourth round pick that's also conditional. So these are the conditions here. Um, if the pick, uh, if that first round pick is in the top 10, Calgary has the option to trans, um, transfer their 2023 first round pick to, uh, uh, to yeah, so that they can move it so it's next year. And then if they elect to transfer the 2023 first round pick instead of the 2022 first round pick, Montreal will then also receive Calgary's 2024 fourth round pick is interesting um and then if calgary's 2022 first yeah no sorry i i I should before you go any further it's basically the same condition for that oh is it yeah it's it's the same condition yeah i forgot to mention yeah Yeah. so that's basically the condition is um top 10 pick calgary has the option to transfer the pick to 2023 and if they do that montreal then gets a fourth round pick in 2024 on top of that I see, I see. Right, right And right. if they don't trans, if they give them the 2022 first, then the fourth in 2024 yeah. remains Calgary property. It's not exchanged. Well, I was, actually, I was actually reading it from Cat yeah. Friendly. So, I know so that the, you emailed yeah, that to me. but <laughs> they're, they're guaranteed a first-round pick, either this year or next year, yeah. a 2023 fifth, and maybe a fourth, depending on what Calgary does with that first. Yep. So Tyler Toffoli has three more years left on his uh, contract currently. Which is why we thought like maybe it would be hard to move, but I guess uh, it wasn't. Um, or I mean, they they ended up getting a lot for them. So I I, th- I think I like it for Montreal's side of things uh, because they ended up getting a first round pick, and I was kind of skeptical if they would ever get a first round pick for any of these guys. But uh, yeah, so I I think like a big draw for Tyler Toffoli is um, well, first off, he's reunited with Daryl Sutter. Um, he was a part of that Kings, uh, those two Kings Stanley Cup teams. Um, mm-hmm. And he was a part of that, like that famous 70s line with Jeff Carter, Toffoli, and Richards, was it? No, it's not Richards. Who was the other guy? Kyle Clifford. Clifford, yeah. Um, that uh, did really well in the playoffs. 
Uh, so it should be noted that yep. uh, Ellie's uh, second championship was 2014, and that was uh, to fully second year. So oh. in uh, oh, yeah, in 2012, point. he wasn't around for that. But in 2014, I remember vividly, yep. he helped set up the winning goal. By yeah, Martina. yeah, that's a good point. But I thought he did. Oh no, he didn't play. He may use King's property like draft pick, but he was. It right. doesn't say that his stat line at least. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Boss you're right. It doesn't no, go back. No, no, that that's a good point to clarify. Yeah. Um, Definitely there for the second one. <laughs> he did. Yeah, he did play for the second one, but he played ten games in. But in the regular season, the year. Yeah, that the, won. his first year. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it's a good point. Um. But anyways, uh, he ends up. Uh, pl- getting 70 points in 89 games for Montreal um, in those two years. Um, and then he plays for, uh, yeah, so, and then he's already played three games in Calgary. He has one goal already. Um, what's interesting is, and we'll, we'll talk about Johnny Goudreau in a second, but um, in terms of when you look at their cap-friendly page now, and I mean, of course, because we're going to talk about Johnny Goudreau in a second, but... Um, like they have Gaudreau, uh, Kachuk, uh, Manjupani, and um, I think there was another big one. Oh, uh, Chillington um, are all free agents this upcoming season. So I, I think like this was a move that because Toffoli has three more years left on his contract, they're going for it now because they know that there's no way that they're going to be able to sign Kachuk, Gaudreau, um, and uh, Mangiapane, as well as Shillington. Um, there, there's no way that they're going to sign all those guys. So so this is kind of like their last hurrah, and not to mention the fact that like Toffoli is a left winger, uh, right winger. So it's like if Goudreau or Kachuk leaves some, in some way, then uh, Toffoli can be that replacement. Um, so, and you know, he adds depth for their playoff run as well. So... And he has, uh, you know, a relationship with Daryl Sutter, so it could end up working out for them in the long run. Um, I it is funny though when we were when I was reading those conditions, it's like they like it's like if Calgary somehow makes it to the top ten, then they transfer the picks over. It's like I don't think Calgary's even going to be close to being a top ten pick at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I think there is still in the they're still in the playoffs right now. So um, it seems like <laughs> it was just like one of those things where the in case this falls like a Matthew Shane type of thing, but uh, it doesn't appear that way. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like this deal just because like I think it's just added depth and um, there it seems like even for the future this is going to be a big win for them as well because uh, yeah, of course you would rather have Johnny Gaudreau. But um, but Tyler Toffoli is not that bad of a replacement um, if if Goudreau does leave. Yeah, I mean you look at uh, 2017-18, uh, the last year the Kings made the playoffs. Toffoli had 24 goals, 47 points in 82 games, 251 shots, six power play goals, and 12 power play points. He averaged 16.07 per game that year, and this year with 27 points in four games. He's averaging 17 minutes of ice time. So he can score with efficiency, despite what the shooting percentage says. It's been up and down uh, the past couple of years. You're talking about a guy that's gone past 200 shots in a season uh, four times in a five-year span. 
He had a 17.7 shooting percentage, which is incredible last year. And when you consider, again, like I said last week, how bad the Habs are, his numbers this year aren't half bad. But it's the depth and also um, what this could mean for uh, Goudreau and Kachuk and Mangiapane that's uh, really interesting uh, to dissect here. And it's something that's going to continue into the offseason because we all know that all four of those guys can put the puck in the back of the net. Uh, you look at the first line right now. Uh, the latest update on daily faceoff, February, 6th, uh, February 16th was the last game. Last updated February 19th. So that was Saturday. Yep. It says Lindholm centering Mont- uh, Gaudreau on the left side, Kachuk on the right side. Line two, Mikhail Backlund centering Mangiapane on the left and Blake Coleman on the right. Sean Monaghan, third line, centering Dylan Dubé and Tyler Toffoli. Uh, left to right, and then uh, Ruzicka centering Lucic on the left and Trevor Lewis on the right. Like, the the top three lines right there, pretty solid stuff. You have Monaghan mm-hmm. as your third-line center, Toffoli as a third-line winger. There's a lot of potential to be one of the more underrated offenses and the more heavily stacked offenses in the Western Conference. And there have been some bright spots for Calgary to indicate you know, this this team might rely on goalies pitching shutouts uh, at times, but they can score at will um, when when they flip that on switch. So uh, it's, I'm interested to see what the dynamic is going to look like uh, for next year. But for this year, I think this is the boost they need to potentially make a lengthy run in the playoffs. I don't know if it necessarily means – Calgary's going to win the Stanley Cup because they have a lot of competition that I think goes against them. But I think um, when push comes to shove, the Flames look better than they did before. And all they had to give up was maybe their third or fourth best prospect that they just got last year. A guy like Tyler Pitlick, who was a death piece that was going to become a free agent at the end of this year anyway. And chances are he probably doesn't stay. Uh, they give up a first that's probably going to be at worst in the mid 10 to 20 range. And they don't even give up Connor Zeri or Jacob Pelche yep. in the return. They still have those guys in the system. Yeah, I, re- I remember what, well, what ended up happening was we got off our recording and then I read like and then I saw this uh, tweet that Friedman put out saying like it looks like Toffoli is going to Calgary and Instantly, both of us were saying, it's like, oh, Montreal's going to get Connor Zeri or they're going to get uh, Peltier. Uh, that seems to be the obvious thing. And then it seemed like, and then it was like, oh, okay, they're getting Emil Heineman, who I hadn't really heard of. And then I, um, and then once I did more research, he, uh, yeah, he turned out to be the player that was traded for Sam Bennett. Um, so uh, currently I'm looking at his elite prospects page right now. Um, Emil Heineman has uh, 16 points in 37 games in the Swedish Hockey League, so that's uh, that's not too bad. Um, but he's uh, he's 20 years old. Of course, it's not like a, a Connor Zary or Jacob Peltier, but uh, I mean, it's it's a decent player that you could probably get. I think the the main reason that or the thing that Montreal fans should be more excited about is that first round pick. Um, that they're getting. Or so. just any future sort of return. Like, yeah. you, you couldn't ask the sky and the moon for to fully True. because you know, you're in a pretty vulnerable position. 
Uh, Druin and Dvorak are both injured. You have depth forwards like Joel Armia out of the lineup too. And in order from first to fourth line center, it's right now it's Nick Suzuki, Lauren Dauphin, Jake Evans, and Ryan Paley. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're not really going places, so it it would probably decrease like the quantity of the return if they were to get someone like a Connor Zeri or a Jacob Peltier. Yeah. Uh, the Habs need draft picks and prospects. They're they're going for the youth movement for the most part. And if they're moving to Foley, one of their best bargain prices, this uh, early into his four-year contract, it, it kind of makes me wonder what's next. Yeah. Like, if you're you're going to move to Foley that quickly, what other moves are, are going to be in store for the Habs? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, all right. And then there was another trade that we'll briefly mention right now. Uh, Ryan Dezingle and Ilya Lavushkin is going to Toronto. Nick Ritchie is going to Arizona um, in a 2025 conditional second round pick. Uh, that condition is Arizona has the option to exchange the pick for Toronto's 2023 third round pick. Um, it doesn't really say that. That's the only thing that Cap Friendly is saying right now about that. Um, so it is interesting that it's like in 2025, that's that's going to be a pick. Um, I didn't know that you could trade that far, uh, far ahead. But... Um, and then I think I saw that Ryan Dezingle is uh, is going to like clear waivers or he was put on waivers, um, so uh, in, in the, that they're going to just move him to the Marlies. Um, but yeah, this this seems like a depth move. It seems like you know I thought Nick Ritchie was going to be a decent depth piece for Toronto, but um, but yeah, I guess it, it just turned out that that wasn't the case. Um, and yeah, he gets to go to Arizona where he can uh, he can have more ice time uh, potentially in Arizona and, and that could be and get his career back on track. Um, what is funny though, um, I don't know if you realize this, but Andre Kashe and Nick Ritchie were on the same team for uh, from Anaheim. Then they were traded to Boston the same uh, around the same week or so. And then they moved. They both signed in Toronto, um, as well. So this might be the first time when Nick Ritchie and Andre Kashe aren't on the same team anymore. Unless I guess Andre Kashe goes to Arizona somehow in a couple weeks. But um, it looks like Andre Kashe is doing pretty well um, in Toronto. So, so maybe maybe not. Um, and and that yeah. was part of the reason why Nick Ritchie was kind of in the doghouse. Like yeah. the Leafs weren't really like playing him much. If you yeah. look at. Um, his numbers this year he only played in 33 games two goals and seven assists and he was a minus six in that stretch uh so i i think what nick ritchie needs more than anything is the the right situation and the right playing time and with so much depth on the lease if they're losing when you're not playing well and there are other guys like pierre engvall that can come in and step in and do their thing and they're getting you wins why would you shake things up as True. as you're making a playoff push? So, um, I I I think the writing was on the wall for quite some time yep. for Nick Ritchie. Uh, looking at the left wing situation for Arizona, Keller is obviously a no brainer on the first line. Then you have Lawson Kraus on the second line. Andrew Ladd is the third line uh, situation for them, and then Antoine Roussel on the fourth line, who provides a lot of grit. So I'm interested to see where he slots in um, on Arizona's front, but at the same time. Arizona is in a rebuilding situation. They can afford to take on the $3.3 million cap hit. 
the Leafs are getting, I think, two serviceable depth players that they can use for the cup run if they need it. Both of those contracts are going to come off the books uh, next year. Uh, so that's a combination of $2.45 million in Dezingle and Lubushkin that they can ditch at the end of the year and maybe center that towards a signing for one of their key players. So yeah. in reality, long-term, they're getting the cap space they probably couldn't get if they kept Nick Ritchie, which is part of that uh, reasoning. Arizona gets a guy that maybe has a future on their team. At worst, you know, they move him for futures at the next deadline or in the offseason, and they see what happens there. Uh, worst case, they get a third in 2023, or they wait till 2025 for that conditional second when maybe the Leafs um, are starting to feel that cap crunch and maybe regress a little bit, and maybe they get a better draft positioning uh, than they would in 2023. Who really knows? Yep. Um, so there's there's a lot of interesting dynamics there. I think for the short term and the long term, both teams will get what they want. The Leafs get some cap space, which they need. Uh, to keep their core together, and the Arizona Coyotes uh, get some future assets. So, um, it, it, at first glance, it doesn't look like anyone gained anything significant, but uh, I think in the long term, you'll see that both teams did. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I'm just looking now at uh, Kache's stats versus Nick Ritchie's stats. So Nick, um, Nick Ritchie has like six points. Um, Sorry, sorry, nine points in 33 games for Toronto. And Kashe had 20 points in 40 games uh, for Toronto. What was interesting is when they were both in Boston, um, it, it felt like, uh, well, Kashe always got um, got injured, and that was a big reason why uh, he didn't really make it in Boston. Um, so I'm glad that Kashe is doing well in Toronto. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, it felt like, oh, Nick Ritchie, he had a hot start. Um in uh in boston and then uh and then he kind of cooled down a lot but yeah now i i didn't expect him to get like six or nine points in uh 33 games or whatever it was so um so yeah maybe he just uh didn't uh have favor in the in the locker room uh from the coach's side of things so so maybe that's why it was there and then lastly for illusion i can't pronounce his name for some reason um Labushkin, there we go. Um, he, uh, uh, I, they, uh, there's this guy I follow on Twitter, um, Jay Fresh, who like does advanced hockey statistics, and usually like every time there's like a big trade or something like that, uh, he shows their player cards and something, and uh, for he showed Labushkin's stats, and usually there's like a red line for defense, um. And they, they, there's a chart where it's like at a hundred percent for defense or something. Um, and usually like the offense is like, like for like a, like a shutdown defenseman, like Labushkin, it's usually like shutdown defensemen are usually at like 10% or something. But Labushkin's offense percentage is at 0%, um, which is just really funny. It's just like, there's no offensive potential for Labushkin. But yeah, apparently he's good at defense, so so that's why he's still in the league. But um, it's very funny that they he can also yeah. rack up the hits. I remember yeah. that. So he's an underrated yeah. hit machine as well, and uh, yeah, and block the the odd shot when you need him to. Um, right. And I he also shoots right, which I from what I recall from Steve Dangle, I I 
I remember vividly he was asking for a specific defense. It was yeah. either a left shot or a right shot. I'm pretty sure it was right. And hey, he may not be John Klingberg, but he shoots right. So yeah. I, you, I guess you got your wish, Dangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just, got a right-handed defenseman. Just not, just not. I mean, I guess in a way that is kind of what Toronto needs. It's like a very yeah. defensive shutdown. And, and a bargain so. price too. He doesn't cost yeah. you much for the rest of the year. Yeah, for sure. So I think it, it wasn't. It's not bad from that standpoint. Um. Yeah. All right. So now, uh, oh, lastly, Sidney Crosby's five hundredth goal um happened this week it's you know it, it feels like um it's one of those things where it's just like oh yeah of course Cros-, like it feels like an afterthought it's like oh yeah of course Sidney Crosby had 500 goals um but uh but yeah it's uh it's it's pretty cool that like we live in a time when we get to watch Sidney Crosby um I will admit though it does feel like like we don't appreciate him enough now that like McDavid's in the league Austin Matthews in the league but um, but yeah, he's, he's another generational talent and he's lived up to the hype and, um, yeah, 500 goals. And on top of that, like I've, I've said how many times, so this is the year Pittsburgh regresses and right. still hasn't happened yet. And Crosby's played a big part. Yep. Uh, the one thing I will say before we get to the main course is of course he did it against the Flyers. Right. Perfect. Because who else would it be against? He did it against the Flyers in a comeback win. Yep. Um, all right, so now uh, we're we're in like an hour. Oh, we're forty minutes in. I thought we were an hour in, uh, but uh, but yeah, we have uh, we're we're going to talk about five because we talked about like players on rebuilding teams or teams that are players that are likely going to get traded. Um, I would be very shocked if any of these players get traded, uh, but uh, they are in kind of a interesting situation right now because they're free agents this year um or this off season um and uh all all of them are pulling up career years except for maybe one of them uh but uh but yeah it's, it, we just wanted to talk about these guys uh just to just to get the ball rolling on what these teams are going to do uh for the record i think this will probably be like i i don't think uh, i assume uh, Steve, that you're going to say that none of these guys are going to get traded. So I don't think there's going to be any drama in that that standpoint. No, I yeah. think the real drama is what happens when right. the offseason starts. Right, right. So so we're going to take a look at all their cap situations um, and their team stuff and then their, like what they're doing right now and, and how good they can be and um, yeah, if uh, and what the team's going to do um, in the offseason. Um and, and all that stuff. So, like, granted, this this could be a topic after the trade deadline, but it is kind of interesting just because it's something to keep in mind um, as we get to this final st- stretch of the season. Um, so we're going to start off with Johnny Goudreau. Uh, he's been incredible. I don't know if anyone hasn't realized that yet, but he's been incredible. Uh, he has 63 points in 48 games. He's actually getting a lot of hard trophy talk now, um, which is interesting too, uh, because Calgary is, um, they're a playoff team and he's a big reason why. Um, so like usually, like I, I kind of think of Goudreau or just in seasons past, I usually think of Goudreau as like 
a um a notch below all the elite guys like he's like low like he's still like elite he's very very good but i i never thought of him as like on like the mcdavid dry sidle um mcdavid <laughs> mcdavid dry sidle mckinnon type air group so it, it felt weird to me to consider him in the heart consideration but he is a free agent um, it's also another, like, uh, I feel like it's the league's worst kept secret, um, is that Gaudreau wants to play where his, his hometown team is, uh, which is, um, the Flyers, even though he's from New Jersey, um, I guess Cherry Hill, New Jersey, New Jersey, um, and, uh, even, I guess he was, he wasn't a Devils fan, but he's, he's more of a Flyers fan. So, like, that's the big rumor is that he's just going to go to Philadelphia after this year. Um, but when you look at the Calgary Flames cap situation, um, Kachuk um, is an RFA, as I mentioned. Goudreau is a UFA. Uh, Andrew Mangiapane, uh is an RFA. Um, Brett Ritchie, Adam Ruzica, or Ruzica, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, Trevor Lewis. Brad Richardson, Nikita Zadora, uh, Goodbranson, Michael Stone, and Oliver Chillington are all free agents um, of varying degrees. Some are restricted, some are UFAs. Uh, but um, so that's a lot of players, and uh, they, they're kind of right at the tip of that cap hit, especially with this move that they made for Tyler Toffoli. Um, so... So that does, like, because of the Tyler Toffoli trade, I do wonder if this means that Calgary is anticipating that Johnny Gaudreau is going to be leaving this year. Um, and they're just trying to stockpile it up because they want, they want to compete for this season um, entirely um, and, um, and they just get an added depth piece. And then eventually Toffoli will replace Johnny Gaudreau in the, uh, in the top six. Um, of course, I would rather have Gaudreau than Toffoli, but um, if you're going to, um, but Toffoli is not that bad either. Um, if you if you're going to have a replacement either, so yeah, what, what's your read on the situation? I would, I guess, yeah. Let, let's you, you go first, and then I'll I'll give my take after. Yeah, so it, it's interesting because. When you look at the situation in Calgary the past couple of years, the question was, what's wrong with Johnny Gaudreau? 58 points in 70 games, decent in 2019-20, but minus 10, Calgary not really in the most ideal position. And um, on the outside looking at the playoffs, not exactly a heavyweight, and uh, they didn't last uh, too long in uh, – in, in the first round against Dallas, uh, they had some flaws that got exposed and the Stars knocked them out in six games. Um, 48 points in 56 games seems like a bit of an underwhelming year. That's still a 70-point pace, a better point per 82-game pace than the previous year. Um, and his shooting percentage was 17%, so he only took 112 shots but scored 19 goals. Um I don't know how much the Canadian division had to do with this, but he averaged 325 on the power play um, per game. And his ice time was 1825, a, a bit down from the previous year. There was also some chatter with Daryl Sutter and 
you know, whether or not Johnny Gaudreau would really fit into a system. And in, in some areas, such as the power play, um, Johnny Gaudreau has sacrificed a little bit. Um, his power play time on ice average went from 325 down to 256, yet his average time on ice in all situations went up by 10 seconds from 1825 to 1835. All of a sudden, his shooting percentage is down to 12.2%, but that's because he's taken 164 shots in 48 games, a much better shots per game pace than last year. Um, he has 20 goals already in those 48 games on pace for 108 points uh, near the top of the leaderboard in scoring with uh, 63 points in those 48 games. I think, I think um, some of it might have to do with the line combinations because he's on the same line right now with Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk and Lindholm is one of the more underrated two-way centers in the game. Yeah, he's good. So it could, it could have just been uh, the chemistry with Monaghan and Goudreau maybe lacking a little bit, and now you put him with Lindholm and Kachuk, and um, he's starting to light it up again. It's really tough to read what Calgary is going to do this offseason, how things are going to go with Monaghan and Kachuk and uh, Mangiapane, and that alone is going to tell me a lot because – they have a lot of flexibility on the wings. Blake Coleman uh, can play on both the left side and the right side. So can Andrew Mangiapane. So can Tyler Toffoli. So can Matthew Kachuk if they choose to keep him. Dylan Dubé has a bit of experience on both. Uh, right now, Gaudreau, Mangiapane, Dubé, and Lucic are your options on the left side. But again, on the right side, it can be interchangeable. You can put Kachuk on the left side. Uh, as I mentioned, Coleman and Toffoli, same thing. So there's a lot of different ways uh, Calgary can go with this. The bad news for Calgary is that Goudreau is having a career year at the worst possible time for a team that uh, is trying to keep within the salary cap, uh, which Calgary, um, you know, that, that might put him in, that might put Calgary in a tough spot. The fact that he's having a career year probably has every single right to ask for the top dollar, the best offer possible, and Calgary just can't seem to match it. The the rumor that's been circling around that uh, Goudreau and Philly would be a good fit, I don't necessarily think Goudreau to Philadelphia is the best fit. However, given the rhetoric that I have, that I've heard from Philly media, and uh, the rhetoric that we talked about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the Flyers and their struggles, we were told that uh, GM Chuck Fletcher has a blank check to fix things in Philly. Yeah. And you can be sure if they really want Johnny Gaudreau on their team and they really think he can fix their woes, they will do everything they can and they will hand out as much cash as it possibly takes to sign this guy. Because you look at Philly's situation on the wings – uh, in particular, on the left side, Oscar Lindblom. I love Oscar Lindblom. He's on the first line. I'm not really sure he's a first line player. Yep. James Van Riemsdyk was a top six player, not playing like it now, and that contract is not looking pretty. And then you have Max Woolman as the third line option and Isaac Ratcliffe as the fourth line option. Out of the massive injuries that Philly is dealing with, the primary left winger that catches my attention is Joel Farabee. And while Farabee has a lot of potential, he's not Johnny Gaudreau. Yep. So if Chuck Fletcher thinks Johnny Gaudreau is that good, 
he will pay a King's ransom to get him out of Calgary. So um, I think if Johnny Gaudreau leaves Calgary, Philly is the most ideal choice just because A, they probably want him, and B, they probably would be willing to give him every single penny that he's asking for. Whereas a lot of contending teams, I'm not so sure if they'd be willing to match what Goudreau's asking for. And yeah. it all depends on what Johnny Goudreau wants. Of course, yeah. I, I think, like, ultimately, because, like, there has been that rumor swirling, I feel like there is, like, this this isn't, like, the it's not, like, just this season that we've been wondering, like, like the, these rumors have started. Like, they happen when Johnny Goudreau was in the league. Like, first started to break into the league so um so i think there is some some like sense of like okay goudreau really wants to be on the flyers uh the thing is is what's interesting is um so i was just looking at the flyers cap friendly page uh they have 14 million um in cap space next year um granted they have like about 15 guys (laughs) that they have to sign um uh and also uh I think we, I don't know if we mentioned it on the show, but I definitely did mention it to you on the email that Claude Drew uh, wants to go to Colorado or I think Minnesota was his other option. So, yes, yeah, so Colorado's the front runner, yep. Minnesota and St. Louis, both right. in the same division as Colorado, right, by the way, line. would be other alternatives. Right, right. If so, Colorado. Uh, sorry, if Claude Drew decides to leave Philly for somewhere else. Right. And if that's the case, that could create up cap space yeah. to go out and sign someone like a Johnny Gaudreau. Well, that that was my point that I was about to make. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. For I have a knack for doing that. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I yes. just think the same. Well, I thought I thought you were just going to mention the fact that, like, also St. Louis. And, I, and then I was just like, oh, damn yeah, it, you, no. you had to make my point. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so that, that was my other thing, but like, I granted like for like, even though they have 14 million of cap space left, it's basically, you're just transferring Goudreau with, uh, Claude Giroux. Um, and like, you know, Goudreau is not really a center. So you are a right winger that Claude Giroux is. So, um, so yeah, you would have to consider that. But at the same time, it's like, you have Sean Couturier, you have, Kevin Hayes, um, they could make it work. And, you know, uh, uh, Johnny Goudreau would instantly be the best winger that Philadelphia has. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it's like that's like the biggest issue that Philadelphia has because they need to figure out their defense uh, versus uh, just getting like the hottest free agent um, on the market. So, so that. I also think they're yep. kind of missing a playmaker, though, because, like, yeah. when I think about Jacob Voracek, there. when they decide to move him to Columbus, yep. I was thinking, that guy doesn't score too, too many goals. And I guess he scores an underrated right. amount of goals, but he's no more for racking up the assists. True. And that's Johnny Gaudreau, too, except he's younger than Voracek. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they do. Cam Atkinson has been pretty good for Philly as well. But yeah, no, that is mm-hmm. a good point too. Just from like a, they did let go of uh, Jacob Voracek over the off season, and um, Goudreau would help with, with managing that for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I kind of agree with you that I don't know if Philly is the right team for him. However, I do think that there is something to those rumors that. Goudreau does want to 
play for his hometown team that he or the team that he grew up rooting for. Um, if I was in Johnny Gaudreau's uh, shoes and um, and I had like a choice of what team I would want to go to, I would choose the Bruins, even though I know that they they suck at that moment, or so, even if they suck. At the, at at the same moment. time, though, so. if if you're Johnny Gaudreau and you really want to win a Stanley Cup, why would you lead the Pacific Division? True, because that's literally the best chance that you have to get in the playoffs every single but, year. But if Philly... you go to the Metro Division. Like yeah. you're going into an absolute dogfight. That's fair, but I I think if if I I there is also a possibility that Johnny Gaudreau wants to get paid. <laughs> so if if Philly can afford it, then yeah, uh, I I don't see an issue with that. Um, but I I think I do side with you that I think um, maybe Philly's not the right fit. But I, I, I don't think he's going to stay in Calgary after this year. Um, so, so that's probably what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Especially after that Tyler Toffoli news. And they kept on like, you know, they got, they drafted Jacob Peltier, who's a left winger. Um, and they have Matthew Kachuk, who's a left winger, although he plays right wing now. So, uh, so yeah, they they definitely are loaded on the left wing side. Um, it almost yeah. felt like they're in preparation for Johnny Gaudreau to to be leaving. So I, I it I feels like a very captain long. obvious yeah. thing to say, yeah. but it feels like one of Gaudreau, Mangiapane, and Kachuk won't be back after this season. Yeah, call it a gut feeling. <laughs> yeah, I, and this I is more of a we know we're gonna have to make a move, so we're yeah. getting to fully on a friendly term for the next two years. Right. Uh, so that when we say goodbye to one of these pieces, it's not going to hurt as much. But you know what actually kind of sucks, though? I mean, I know that the Flames are leading uh, the Pacific Division right now, and Goudreau is doing amazing. But they, like, because they know that Goudreau is probably gone, they could make, like, a fortune out. Like, they could make so much. They could have, like, the huge, biggest return for him if they traded him before the trade deadline. But I know that's not what they're gonna do, um, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, and they shouldn't. But like, if they did, uh, they'd get at least get something for uh, for Goudreau. But yeah, that's not gonna happen. Because also, plot good. twist. Um, and I, I mentioned this because the ne- one of the next names we're gonna be talking about is yeah. on this team. Um, plot twist. What if Goudreau goes to the Penguins instead? <laughs> Like, yeah. keep that second line intact. You keep yeah. Crosby there. You keep Malkin there. You extend yep. the window. Uh, yep. The only con is that you've betrayed the team that you've cheered for your entire life. So, yeah, that's again, a good I, I don't really know if that's going to work. Well, that's a good transition because that's the next team we we're going to talk about. <laughs> um, so, so Brian Rust and Evgeny Malkin are both free agents this year. Those are the two guys. So, it's like a two for one <laughs> um, that we're going to talk about right now. Um so yeah, both uh, Brian Rust and Evgeny Malkin are uh, are free agents right now, um, and um, actually that would be wild if it's like Brian Rust for Johnny Gaudreau <laughs> somehow. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, Brian Rust has. Um, I remember like a couple. We were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Of, like I was like I was just reading like all these lists of Penguin stats here. And then I went to like Brian Rust, and I was like, shocked that he was a, a over a point per game player. 
He still didn't know if I were playing. And then you look at his cap hit right now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he, yeah, exactly. Um, So, anyways, he's still up over a point per game player. 39 points in 30 games. Um, And, uh, and yeah, his cap hit is uh, very, very nice. 3.5 million. Um, He's 29 years old, so he's a little bit older than Johnny Gaudreau is. Um, So maybe, (laughs) so maybe they don't do a one-for-one type trade for him. But um, they do, uh, so, so that's one of the guys that we're going to be talking about. The other one is Evgeny Malkin, who just came back from injury uh, sometime in, I think in January was his, um, sometime in January was his first time he, um, he came back. But since he's been back, he has 17 points in 16 games. So that's, that's pretty nice or expected of Evgeny Malkin. Um, of course, Evgeny Malkin is much older than Sidney Crosby. Or he is older than Sidney Crosby, but <laughs> he's older than Brian Russ as well. Uh, he's 35 years old, um, but he's making 9.5 million as well. So, um, so yeah, even if they like, even if the Penguins were sucking, um, I don't. That would be something that they'd have to figure out in order to trade him. But they're probably not going to trade him. Um, the thing that's interesting about the Penguins and Evgeny Malkin, let's start with him first, and then we'll go to Brian Rust after. Um, so the thing that's interesting about Malkin is that he has a no-movement clause. Um, he's 35 years old. For, like, over a decade and a half, basically, Evgeny, it's been Crosby and Malkin on the Penguins. Um, and so it, it was just, like, of all the guys that we're talking about, this would be the strangest one if they were to leave um, mm-hmm. their team, just because like, like I associate the Penguins with Evgeny Malkin so much. Um, and uh, yeah, so it would just be weird to see him on another team. Um, however, the Penguins, uh, they have, so yeah, Malkin and Rust are UFAs. They also have, um, they also have uh, Zach Aston Reese, Evan Rodriguez, who's, uh, who is also having a breakout year, who's also an interesting free agent this coming season because he's doing pretty well. Brian Boyle, Dominic Simone, and Chris Letang are UFAs as well. And then in terms of RFAs, oh, wait, sorry, another um, UFAs, Casey DeSmith and Louis Domingue. And then in terms of RFAs, we have Mark Friedman, Danton Heinen, and Casper Kapanen. Um, so... So they, they do have some, uh, a, lot, a couple of pieces there, uh, notably Kapanen um, and uh, Chris Letang as well, although I, I would assume Letang may be gone as well. Um, but they have, according to uh, Cat Friendly, they would have $28 million, uh to deal with um, in order to spend on all those guys I just mentioned. Um, so, so there is like a potential that maybe they try to, um, they, they try to limit, uh, or they try to figure it out where they limit the amount of guys that they sign. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's less likely that Malkin's, I feel like it's more likely that Malkin's going to stay on the team just because he's, he's been a part of the team forever. Um, and, um, and if he wants to stay there, it's not like he said that he's unhappy. Um, he has a cup already. He has three (laughs) anyways. So I, I don't think he like, he necessarily needs to go anywhere. 
Um, and um, yeah, so I, I think he'll probably stay um, and they'll, they'll resign him. But um, but I'm I'm unclear. Let's so what's your take on Evgeny Malkin, and then we'll get on to Brian Rust. Yeah. So with Malkin, his lowest points per game is zero point eight five, and that was last year. Every other season except for 2010-11, he has been over a point per game. Last year. At 0.85 points per game, he posted 28 points in 33 games. Only played 33 games. And in the season, his fourth season, where he had 0.86 points per game, 15 goals, 37 points in 43 games. If that is your worst seasons in the league, you're a pretty darn good hockey player. In fact, you're probably one of the best hockey players that's ever laced up a pair of skates and played professional hockey. And, and the resume for Evgeny Malkin backs it up. This, above all else, stands out to me about Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, you could get Claude Drew. Yeah, you could get Thomas Hurdle. How are they going to react when Sidney Crosby goes down with an injury? Or the injuries pile up on other areas of land, such as Jake Ensel and Brian Rust. Evgeny Malkin has that ability to be a game changer whenever this team needs him. It's happened multiple times where all of a sudden people turn to Malkin and every single time he's delivered and the Penguins have benefited greatly because of Malkin and what he's been able to deliver. You're talking about a guy that consistently gets 20 plus power play points every year. Um, a handful of times he's gotten 30. His first two years in the league, he got 40 and 41 points on the power play respectively. Yeah, crazy. And he got double digits in power play goals in each of his first three seasons. He hasn't gotten a double digit power play goal season since 2017-18. But again, for a 35-year-old that's going to be turning 36 on July 31st, so he'll be 36 when the next season starts, 17 points in 16 games, I call that pretty darn good. Uh, 14 shooting, 14 percent shooting percentage, pretty good. Six goals on 43 shots this year, averaging four minutes on the power play, the highest average power play time he's gotten since 2013-14. And on the season, he's only averaged 18-11 per game. Earlier in his career, he was averaging 20 plus minutes per game uh, in four of his first five seasons in the league. So, he's. Again, the difference maker in Evgeny Malkin is still there. My only concern about it is, is his age. I'm not concerned about his competitiveness. I'm not concerned about the offense. The offense is definitely still there. What I am concerned about is age and his injury history, if his body can, can hold up. But there's no question if the Penguins have the ability to keep Evgeny Malkin, they should, and, they, and I think they will. The, the only other team I could probably see Evgeny Malkin playing for is a team in Russia. He right. just goes home, finishes off his career in Russia, and that's it. I don't really see him in another NHL jersey unless, for whatever reason, the Penguins don't want him or can't afford to keep him, and a contender like Colorado or whoever comes calling and says, hey, we're gunning for a Stanley Cup, you want to join in. Those, those are the only situations – that uh, that Malkin finds his way out of Pittsburgh and on a new roster um, after this season concludes. 
once again, I point to Peng, uh, to the Penguins cap situation. They got a lot of money to play around with. So they could theoretically keep Rust and Malkin. Maybe it comes to the price of a Crystal Tang, but they they have the money to give Malkin what he wants. And Malkin maybe would be willing to take a pay cut to stay in Pittsburgh and keep their window to win uh, open a little bit longer. Um, he seems like a, a team player that's that's still ready and, and hungry to win. And, that, and that's noteworthy because uh, they still have Sidney Crosby for another two seasons after this. However, a season after Malkin becomes a UFA, so uh, in 20... Actually, no, that's that's still far away. But uh, it, it adds it adds it certainly adds to the argument. Uh, Jake Gensel has two more years left on a deal that makes him six million per season. The reason I mention that is because we talk about how good Rust and Malkin have been. Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby have been one of the NHL's reliable one two punches for many years now. Yeah. And to keep him on the team is going to cost a lot uh, is going to cost not a lot more than six million. But his his uh, asking price is definitely going to go up if he continues to produce at the pace he's at. Well, Jake Ensel, they, I mean, they have three more years to worry about that. And uh, yeah, <laughs> two after two after this year. Yeah. Right, right, right. But it, it's it's just more of the long range game, too, True. is what I'm thinking. If they if they do it, they did if, oh, if they do it, the Cavs did with Ovechkin and they gave him a five year deal. It's just yeah. like, yeah, well, you yeah. know, there are other guys that you're going to have to pay interest in Jerry down the road, too. Yeah, that's a fair so. point. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I, I, I do wonder, though, you might be right, though. I feel like they, like, Malkin either stays with the Penguins or he goes to the KHL. Like, he just mm-hmm. wouldn't go to another team. But I don't know, maybe he does decide to go to another team, but it does seem like their cap situation could get murky once you bring up Crosby and Gensel. You do have a point there. Um, so so now we're going to talk about Malkin's teammate, Brian Rust. Uh, he, uh, as I mentioned, he has 37 points in 29 games, um, and this is by far his best year, although last year he was pretty good too, but uh, not as good as he uh, was this year. Uh, he had 42 points in 56 games last year. And then uh, the previous year, he did have uh, ju- a point over a point per game season. It was just 56 points in 55 games. So just like one point over. Um, whereas like this time, it's about like uh, eight points over. Um, so, so yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty good for him, obviously. Uh, he's 29 years old. Um, and if this is his breakout year... Um, it's kind of interesting because, like, I guess those those like late bloomers like that do happen before, but uh, like Joe Pavelski, Brad Marchand are two big famous examples of that. But um, but I don't know if it's if that's what's happening with Brian Russ. Like he has always been this good. I guess it wouldn't shock me if if he if he uh, is this good next season. Um, wherever that is, but, um, but it feels like this, we're watching his peak season right now. Um, and I do wonder if the Penguins are like, are going to buy into it or not. Um, I, I think with the fact that they have Malkin as a free agent, they have Latang as a free agent. I think that's what it's really going to depend on. Like 
just the the penguins have to figure out um like which like just like the flames there's no way that kachuk goudreau and Mangiapane are going to be all signed it's the same here with the penguins it's there's no way malkin rust and latang are all going to be signed um and um i think brian rust might be the la the the odd man out in that situation so here's why i think brian rust could stay with the penguins is the options on the open market in terms of right wingers and it does stand cap friendly that brian rust has experience on the left side but at the moment he is currently on the right wing side on line one with crosby and gensel he also has chemistry with evgeny malkin and that's the key point is if you keep brian rust now that evgeny malkin's not there what's his point production going to be like evgeny malkin definitely has a chemistry with brian rust but i wouldn't put past evgeny malkin to establish chemistry with someone else and still play high quality hockey for another couple of years so i i think the need for malkin is and and crosby is is a bit higher with brian rust even then brian rust is still a very good player you look at um his is um his season in 2018-19 he took 141 shots 18 goals 35 points in 72 games that doesn't seem too extravagant but he was only averaging 15.54 per game and only seven seconds of power play time in the previous in, in the in the three years following that he averaged 248 247 and 338 this year on the power play per game and he's been averaging around 18 to 19 minutes per game over the past three seasons and the point totals have shot up 27 goals 56 uh, points in 55 games that's an 83 pace or a full 82 that was in uh, the uh, COVID shortened 2019-20 season last year in 56 games against a, a bevy of high quality opponents in uh, the new metro division the now former, I guess, because it only lasted for a year, but it still had Boston. It still had the New York teams who did pretty well. Still had Washington. It still had Philly. There's there's a lot of talent, a lot of teams to go through. And Brian Rust put up 42 points, 22 of them goals in 56 games. That's still a 62-point pace, pretty good. Uh, when you consider, again, what the Penguins did that year, and their expectations going in. It didn't look like Pittsburgh was going to be a playoff team going into that season because of all of the depth within that division, and yet they made it work. They were one of the best teams in the division that year, and Brian Rust, when he played, was definitely a big part in that. And this year, he has 39 points in just 30 games played. That's 107-point pace over 82 games. Only taken 100 shots, so his shooting percentage is 18%. That's pretty impressive for a guy that's only averaged 18.47 this year. But again, if you put Brian Rust on a line that doesn't have Malkin or Crosby, what's he going to do? And that's going to be the argument. However, other teams are probably going to look like, who freaking cares? He put up 39 points in 30 games. Let's sign him. Right. And part of the reason is because the right wing market 
is aging and otherwise thin. Joe Pavelski, out of the eligible right-winger free agent options, leads the way with 52 points in 48 games. He's 37. That's seven years older than Brian Rust. Phil Kessel is 34. He's third on that list with 33 points. I know it's Arizona, and that's still pretty good, but again, a 34-year-old Phil Kessel, you're not really sure beyond this year what's going to happen. Riley Smith at 31 years old having a down year. Evan Rodriguez has cooled off since Malkin's come back, and you're not really sure what his ceiling is uh, after this year. And then you look at some of the other names like Brock Besser and Jesse Pugliarvi and Martin Nakash, um, Kasperi Kapanen. Those guys could be very useful assets for your team, but they're restricted free agents, which means you're going to have to trade to get those guys. So if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins and you're just like, well, we can't really afford to keep Brian Rust because the the competition's going to be asking for too much money, that that's going to be an interesting dynamic because the options for Pittsburgh to really fill that void left by Brian Rust, it's not going to be easy to fill. And that plays into Brian Rust's back pocket. It's like, yes, I... Yes, uh, Malkin and Crosby could have success with another right winger, but at the same time, I'm going to get a lot of offers from other teams, and there's probably going to be a bit of pressure to keep me in Pittsburgh because of the options that are out there and the slim pickings there are in terms of guys that can still play but are around the same age. Yeah, I, I think I... Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. I feel like there will be a team that will go crazy and overspend for Brian Rust. Um, it's bound to happen. Um, but it's, it's a 50-50 split, honestly. You could flip a coin, I, yeah. I, and I, I agree with whatever it says. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's go to someone else. But I think we're both kind of in agreement that it seems like Brian Rust may not end up being there. But we'll see. Um. Okay, so now we're going to Jack Campbell. Uh, he's actually an interesting story because if we were talking about this in like, if we were doing this show or this topic in uh, December, we would be like saying like, oh, the Leafs have finally found their uh, their goaltender that they've been looking for. Um, it looks like he's, he's going to be the guy. However, the last couple of games, um, he hasn't been that good, Jack Campbell. Um, and uh, I was just going to pull up his uh, his stats here because I believe they are uh, noteworthy. Uh, before I do, or while I bring that up, I can mention his uh, current uh, cap situation. He's currently making $1.6 million. Um, he's a free agent this uh, coming off season. Um, and then we have Labushkin, who they just made that trade for. Timothy Lilgren, who's also a free agent. Uh, you have Jason Spezza, Ryan Dezingle, and Ilya Mikheyev as UFAs. You have Andre Cache and Pierre Engvall as RFAs. So it's not too bad. Maybe you, you do sign uh, Andre Cache, but he's an RFA, so you, you know you'll probably get a team-friendly deal. So this is... Something where Jack Campbell will probably be, um, you know, they, they have room. They, uh, it's not like something where it's like Jack Campbell will probably be a priority for, um, 
for the Leafs this offseason in terms of who they get signed of those guys I just mentioned. Um, but, of course, the Leafs have uh, a, ter- a crazy um, cap situation because they have a lot tied to Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares. Um, but, so they only have $8 million to uh, work with in this offseason, um, which isn't a lot. Uh, so, so I guess the question really comes down to is how much is Jack Campbell going to make on the open market versus what he's currently doing right now. Uh, right now, so he has a 922 save percentage and a 2.41 GAA. However, in the months of uh, January was when he started to fall apart. Uh, he had an 880 save percentage um, and a 3.57 GAA in eight games. Um, he also had, um, and then in February, it doesn't appear that bad, but uh, like at least it's better, but it's a 914 save percentage and a 2.81 GAA um, in February. So, uh, so yeah, it, it like maybe he did start to figure things out, but just that, that is a little concerning in, in that month of January where that was pretty much his only bad month uh, when you look at it from this uh, from that standpoint, but um, it looks like you know currently like he he was he did have like a nine thirty save percentage in the month of October, um, so that you know just to keep that in mind he is kind of falling apart, um, and it does seem like Toronto is relying more on Peter Morazic than they are on uh, on Jack Campbell, which I guess makes sense because maybe if you want to rest Jack Campbell. Um, and make sure he's ready for the playoffs. Maybe you do that, or maybe there's an injury that we don't know about. Um, but, um, so I, I think of these guys that we're going to talk about, I think he's more likely to be a part of the team. But because of Toronto's cap situation, I'm not sure um, if they can make it work. Because they're going to have to maybe trade... Nylander or Tavares maybe um, or figure out some way to make it work so that they can add Jack Campbell uh, they also have more I'm seeing here that they have forgot that they extended Morgan Riley um, as well so uh, so they have to deal with his contract as well now um, but uh, yeah so I do wonder if like if Jack Campbell's gonna be like you know what I, I'm gonna go elsewhere um, because uh, because he, he deserves more than what they can give them. Um, so that that would be the only time where I'm like wondering if maybe there there is a potential where Jack Campbell just isn't on the team uh, just due to what he feels like he's worth. It's, it's tough to really get a read on Jack Campbell because of the slow start. And yet the past two to three years, he's been sensational for the Maple Leafs and just just a very solid locker room guy and a guy that loves being a Toronto Maple Leaf that wants to be there. The teammates love him. Yes, they have leaned on Peter Morasic, but has he been necessarily better than Jack Campbell? I wouldn't say so either. And they're paying Morasic more than Jack Campbell right now. Like, they gave him a three-year deal worth three-plus million, and the guy making less than two million prior to Morasic playing, because Morasic was hurt for most of it, 
the Leafs leaned heavily on Jack Campbell and he was playing some unbelievable hockey. He was the rock for their defense. And that's something I think they can't really risk losing. And part of the reason why this benefits Jack Campbell is because, yes, the Leafs want to keep him. But guess what? A lot of teams want to take away Jack Campbell from Toronto because if you look at the goalie market similar to the right wing, it's not really that great. There were a lot of goaltenders available on the open market last year. This year, Jack Campbell is second among that group in wins with 23. The guy who's ahead of him is Darcy Kemper. And I I think Kemp, I think in terms of an all-around season, Campbell has played better than Kemper. Kemper definitely has a better defense around him. And there's definitely been moments where Kemper has looked the role. But there have been times where the Leafs have, again, leaned heavily on Campbell and he's delivered. Whereas Colorado just has the offense to run and gun all the time. And that's gotten them out of some sticky situations. Kemper has made the big saves when he's had to. But there have been also a couple of games where I'm just like, you know, I don't really feel confident about the Avs goaltending right now. And... Mm -hmm. The guy that could fix that, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, is 37. We know that, that there are only a few situations where maybe he'd be able to play another year, but he wants to be with his family. He's got a couple of Stanley Cups already. He's got nothing else to prove, so he could just retire at the end of this year. So beyond that, you have Miko Koskinen, which 33 years old, 901 save percentage, GAA over three doesn't matter the offense there that's not really good uh billy huso who's 27 great numbers yes but this is the closest thing to starter billy huso that we've seen in his career uh brayden holpe who's 32 912 save percentage but 910 and 0 record in dallas and given the years that he's had uh in dallas uh and sorry in vancouver and his later years in washington i'm not really sure if he's that number one goalie you can trust. Same with Martin Jones, who's 32 years old. Uh, Court Pasalo, who's 28, not really sure if you can really trust him as a starter. Maybe the Leafs roll the dice with Court Pasalo and Morazic if they can't keep Jack Campbell because they're on a tight budget. Who really knows? What I'm saying is, again, similar to the Brian Russ situation, the Leafs might have to overpay to keep Jack Campbell because of the teams trying to get him out of Toronto because he's basically one of the few options on the open market they can really say, yeah, we've upgraded on goaltending. So I I think if he wants to get paid, he's probably better off heading elsewhere because there's teams like Colorado and Edmonton that would happily pay to keep him or to, to, to take him from the Leafs. But if he really loves Toronto that much, you'll find a way to make it work and stay with the team. Right, right. Yeah, I um, yeah, I feel like he's. It sounds like you think that he's he's probably gone after this year. Uh, again, I I think it's sixty percent chance he stays in Toronto. I really yeah. think he loves. Um, he, I think he has a great amount of admiration for Dubas yeah. and for his teammates in the city of Toronto. But again, that that that's a strong forty percent. I think I, I it wouldn't shock me if if he um, if he gets a good offer and he strongly considers leaving Toronto, and he should. 
he should strongly consider that offer because this is his best chance to get paid. I honestly don't know if his best hockey is ahead of him or behind him after this year. So while it's still here, he should take full advantage of that. Yeah. Um, But I I, I think the best situation for Jack Campbell from a locker room perspective, it's 100% Toronto. Yeah, it is funny when you put it that way because it's like Toronto finally has been looking for that goaltender. I mean, Freddie, they did have Freddie Anderson, and uh, but like it seemed like uh, Jack Campbell was like, um, w- like outplayed him last year. Um, part of that mm-hmm. was because Freddie Anderson was uh, was injured, but um, but even when when Anderson was healthy, Jack Campbell had outplayed him. So um, so yeah, the, there there is that things where like they finally get their goaltender. And luckily, Mrazek's been uh, decent for them too, so it's not like that big of a loss if Jack Campbell were to leave. But yeah, at the same time, it's just like, wait, what? Like maybe they can make it work because he was so good at the start of the year. Um, but yeah, you do bring up a point. Maybe Colorado uh, tries to get him, but I think a lot of it will de- just depend on. I think most, for the most part, this will. A lot of it will depend on what the playoffs is like. If Jack, if the Leafs go far with Jack Campbell, um, and they don't win the cup, then I I, don't, I, I think they might stick it with uh, Jack Campbell. Um, but if like, um, but like a reverse, conversely, if like Colorado um, is out again in the playoffs in the second round or something, and um, and they're they're gonna blame goaltending again, and then they'll. You know, Colorado will probably try uh, Jack Campbell or something like that. So, um, and of course, if the Leafs somehow win the cup, um, then they don't, you know, <laughs> it doesn't even matter what Jack Campbell does. Uh, he could stay with Toronto or he could leave. Um, it doesn't really matter because they won the cup. So, um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of it will just depend on how they perform in the playoffs. Um, all right. So lastly, speaking of Colorado, um, this is the last player. Uh, we have Nazem Kadri. Uh, so I did mention at the start that uh, Johnny Gaudreau had 63 points in 48 games. However, Kadri um, has 63 game, 63 points, but in two less games than Johnny Gaudreau did. Uh, 46 point, uh, 46 games there to be exact. Um, and yeah, he's been he's been on fire. Um, he's also another former Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, but yeah, this is by far his. He's had decent seasons before. Um, he had 61 points in 82 games. I think that was his best year um, in 2016-2017 uh, in 82 games. He also had a uh, uh, 44 points in 48 games in the 2020 2012-2013 uh, season. Uh, that was the sh- lockout shortened year, um, if I recall. So, so those have been his best years, but for the most part, he's always been in like the 50 point or 40 point range. Um, the past couple of seasons though, or when he's been in Colorado, he had 32 points in 56 games last year. And then the year before that, he had 36 points in 51 games. Um, but yeah, so now he's like, he's already doubled that score, uh, which is any, and he's played less games. Um, so, so yeah, he's been phenomenal. Uh, there was, there was a part early on in the year when we thought like, 
uh, Nathan McKinnon um, was injured and Cam Carr was also injured or um, and like you know there was some concern but then all of a sudden uh, Kadri just took it to another gear and uh, yeah he's, he's now doing really really well 63 points in, 20, um, in 46 games um, I am going to throw the same amount of caution with him with um, that I did with Brian Rust uh, purely because like yes uh, we know that Kadri has this potential to be consistent but at the same time it's like this is by far his best year and I wonder how like I don't know how sustainable that is especially since he's 31 years old um, I'm sure if it's the avalanche uh they'll probably like if they spend a fortune on him that's that could work but maybe it's you know i i don't know how it's going to work if it's another team i'm sure there's going to be a team that's going to spend a lot of money on kadri and i'm not sure if that's going to be worth it um but um but yeah in terms of the uh, avalanche's cap situation they have kadri as ufa they also have burakovsky uh, Nichushkin, uh, Darren Helm, Ryan Murray, uh, Curtis McDermott, and Jack Johnson, and Kemper and Fransu um, as UFAs. So really, um, um, in terms of, and then in terms of RFAs, they have Nicholas Abe Kubel, who's been decent for them, if I recall. Um, so um, in terms of free agents that they have to worry about, like Kadri, obviously, Burakovsky, um, and uh, their two goaltenders in Kemper and Franco. Um, so, so though that would be a concern from them that standpoint. Um, I I do think though, and then in terms of cap space uh, for next year, they'll have twenty six million to deal with. Um, so that's that's quite a bit that they can they can afford to uh, pay Kadri. Um, what he's worth, which would probably be like eight million, I would venture, um, maybe nine million. But uh, yeah, so I, I I think it's one of those things where I think Kadri will stay on Colorado, but because he's thirty one years old, I don't know how consistent he can be. Um, so I don't. I I assume there'll be a team out there that's going to offer him like nine million dollars, and he's going to take it, and then it's just not going to be worth it. Um, so, so that there is that potential. Yeah. So you're saying Boston would cough up nine million dollars to fix their oh. second line center position? Oh, yeah, yeah. That would actually be really, really funny if Boston <laughs> ends up signing Kadri, because especially given yeah. the playoff history with yeah. Kadri. Well, that, that's, that's that what I mean. Yeah. What I was getting to. I, I don't think yeah. that's going to happen, but I guess you're right. Now that you put that in my head, I think that that's probably what's going to happen. It would be too so, perfect. So here, here's here's what really um, here's what really uh, is in, interesting about the Nazem Kadri situation is you you look at a guy like Nathan McKinnon, and this this is going to partly fit into my explanation here. Nathan McKinnon this year played in 35 games and has 11 goals and 47 points. Pretty good. 
So during that time that he didn't play, not some Kadri probably stepped in and filled some of that role. Kadri's played 46 games. And like you said, Brett, 21 goals, 63 points, 112 pace. Uh, last year, uh, over 82 games, last year was 47. So already an upgrade there. Uh, taking 163 shots, so his shooting percentage is around 13%, 19 power play points, um, average 19 minutes per game for the first time ever. And he's averaging close to four minutes of power play time, which he's come close uh, a couple of times. But um, at this rate, he's going to post an average of four minutes uh, of power play ice time per game for the first time in his career. So a, a career first. Uh, it should be mentioned that Johnny Gaudreau is a plus 40, which is incredible this year. Kadri is plus 21, which is to be expected when you consider how run and gun Colorado's offense is. At the moment, he's playing on his second line with Nuchushkin and Burakovsky. Burakovsky is having uh, a great year of his own. Nuchushkin's also put up some good numbers. Uh, so he's done a bit of that damage on the second line, and on the first line, didn't miss a beat with Landeskog and Rantanen. Now, that top line with McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen opens the door for other lines to do some damage, and I think to an extent, Kadri has benefited from that. So that's going to be a strike one against Nazem Kadri staying in Colorado. The second and the most important one is because after next year, Nathan McKinnon's contract ends and he can sign wherever he wants. So that that window to win with the McKinnon bargain contract has got this year and next year on it, and that's it. It's time to pay the big man. So the Colorado Avalanche need to keep that in mind when they consider, okay, how much money are we going to give Nazem Kadri? And they also have Burakovsky and, and Kemper to worry about, of course. But the big question is, how much money uh, is is Kadri worth? And also, can we afford that? So that, there's the second strike against that. And like you said, Brett, the third strike is you're not really sure what to expect from Nazem Kadri. His best season was 61 points in 2016-17. He's already surpassed that. Yeah. But that this is the second time he's gotten to 60 points in his NHL career. And there's no doubt he can be a serviceable second-line center. But that also brings up um, strike th- um, are we? I think this is uh, the fourth strike, actually, against Kadri. Um, unlike the right wing and the goaltending, there's a lot of options down the middle to choose from. If they don't, st- if they, if they don't go with Nassim Kadri, guess what? Thomas Hurdle's available, and he's three years younger than Nassim Kadri. If they want a veteran that's been to the finals before, that's uh, been to the playoffs multiple times, Claude Giroux's available, and he's doing pretty well. They also have your guy, Patrice Bergeron, who still has a lot left in him, and he's won the Selkie probably almost every season he's played at this point. And even then, you get into the Ryan Stroms and the Vincent Trocheks and Jared McCanns, and you think... You know what? If you put these guys on a second line, they could probably put up 50 to 60 points as well. So it's not like a situation, uh, as we talked about in the other cases, where it's the end of the world as we know it if we lose Nazem Kadri. The Avalanche are going to find a way to fill that void and get similar results. So I think for Nazem Kadri staying in Colorado with the cap and the other options out there, I say 40% chance Kadri re-ups in Colorado and 60% he tests the open market and he signs somewhere else. These are so weird percentages. I don't really understand it. 
Because um, it sounds like for for Jack Campbell, it seemed like you were fifty fifty, but you said sixty forty. Uh, this one. yeah. <laughs> then then you gave like four different reasons, and then you're just like, oh, I guess he's like a forty percent. Yeah, I guess that's that's. Well, it's it's just that it's just that if you want to win, there might be no other better. There may be no other chance that's better than Colorado right now for Nassim Kadri to rack up the points and continue to get chances to win. I think the final nail in the coffin is going to be playoff performance. And I say that because there have been three times in the playoffs in Nassim Kadri's career where he's not been there when he should have been, and it's cost his team greatly. Yeah. So the playoffs are going to be a big statement for him. Well, when you mentioned the fact that uh, uh, Kadri going to Boston, I wasn't even thinking about that because I, I'm kind of biased because he, uh, he, two of the dumb things that he did in the playoffs were against my Bruins. So, um, yeah, so I was and just they thinking, hurt like, Toronto both yeah. times. So, like, uh, no matter what happens, if he stays in Colorado or goes, um, there's and, and I know the Bruins need center help, but I, I would, like, the only team that I think he doesn't go back to or go to is Boston just because uh, we... Yeah, it was more meant to be a comedic joke, but I, wouldn't it be yeah. funny, though? I, I just I just had PTSD when you when you mentioned that. It's like I had forgotten about it, and then I was just like, oh, no, not... not Your team won both those series. Don't feel too bad. But but you do have, you bring up a good point, though, is, like, we didn't even mention the fact that, like, he's been to the playoffs six times, Three of those times, like it's not just when he was in Toronto. Uh, last year, he got suspended. Yep. Um, it was uh, something... Justin Falk, right? Right, right. He did something dumb. I, I think it was just like it was even dumber than the other two times. I, uh... and he, he got eight games for that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah, and something like that. Returned but... when it was too little, too right, late right, right. In, in round two. So. But what, what's interesting is, so I'm looking at his playoff stats. Uh, he he's played in 36 career playoff games. He has 29 points, and a lot of that had to do with mm-hmm. in the 2019-20 uh, playoff playoffs. He had 18 points in 15 games, and that was, of course, yep. his longest time in the in the playoffs. Um, so, so that that does show that like he he could have that potential, but then he also has the potential to be a, a total bonehead. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't know how to well, become a non-factor. Game. Yeah. Well, not become a non-factor because he was a factor. He just like, yeah, well, you know. you're a non-factor if you're not playing because you're yeah. suspended. Right. That's right. But mean. like, my point is, is that like, if, um, if Kadri had, hadn't like hadn't gone suspended, I would imagine Toronto would probably get past the Bruins. Um, yeah. And so, I also think uh, Toronto probably teams. keeps him. Yep. If without those two suspensions, and, and same with the Colorado, Colorado thing, I'm sure they would have, uh, you know, they would have gone farther along if uh, Colorado, if uh, he did, he wasn't an idiot in the first round of the playoffs last year. So, um, so I think a lot of it is like, yeah, he's a very skilled player, but um, but yeah, I don't think he'll necessarily be. Um, but all of it just really comes down to is if he's going to be a dickhead or not um <laughs> pardon my language there i couldn't think of a better word um so so yeah it's um so that that will really be, come down to it and there is a potential that like if he is a like if the if he does get suspended again in the playoffs there could be a chance that colorado 
is just fed up with that as well and yep. just you know they're like okay we're not going to deal with that and i'd find it hard to believe that there will be like i'm sure obviously teams will still be interested but uh he'll probably end up not getting as much money as he uh as he would have gotten if he hadn't gotten suspended in these playoffs so um yeah. so he'll lose his best chance to win the stanley cup like colorado is yep they haven't shown it but out, uh, in terms of teams not named Tampa Bay, yep. they're probably the top name on everyone's list to win the Cup this year, yep. and they have been for a couple of years now. And, like, you know, I'd like to say that, like, oh, he's not going to do that, but I'm saying the same thing. Like, I said the same thing about <laughs> Brad Marchand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, or I, I'm saying the same thing about, like, Brad Marchand, who, uh, mm-hmm. who's, who's been suspended for 12, year, uh, 12 times. Um, and I thought he was over it, but apparently he's not. So, um, so yeah, he's just one of those guys who's just like he's always going to be a threat to get suspended, and maybe that's just going to be a, a thing where it's that's going to be a deal breaker for uh, Colorado, and who knows if that will be or not. All right, so we uh, t- we talked about all the guys here. Uh, that was fun, um, but uh, anyways, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. You can. Check us out at uh, or Facebook at Lace Them Up. Um, our, you can also uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts, um, SoundCloud. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 309 of the Lace Them Up podcast.